0: John chapter seventeen. I I told Beth this afternoon I intend to be brief. I said, "Man, I said this. Uh, I said this evening may may only go about twenty minutes." And she just started laughing. Amen. And I thought, well. I, I at least I see what she yeah uh, but I also know how that goes. I always have good intentions, but you know, I get into the word and I don't know about you. I just enjoy studying it. I'll get lost. Sometimes I'll tell Beth knows that when I say, "Hey, I'm going to run to the church for a minute," I could be over here for the next 4 to 5 hours. That's just how it works because I'll I'll get to doing something, and then I'll be in my office, and then I'll have uh, I'll be trying to type something out, thinking I'm just going to print this real quick for Sunday, and uh, or I thought this verse I need to plug this into my sermon notes so that way I don't forget it. And, and the next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call, and she says the kids are bathing in the bed. You want to come pray with them? I'm going, my goodness, I got over here at 5:30, and it's already nine o'clock. Amen. Uh, so I just enjoy studying the Word. I don't know about you, but I, I just if I could do anything, that's just what I want to do. I want to read the Bible. I I want to see how it ties in together, see how it fits into our life. And uh, if, if that is something that is just kind of dull, then the problem isn't with the Word of God. Amen? It's with you. That's, that's just the truth of it. If you don't enjoy studying this book as a Christian... Now, now does that mean that you're going to sit down for five and six hours? A day? No. No, that's not going to happen. Most of you don't have the opportunity to do those things. Most of you don't have the time to do those things. But if there's not a, a, a small desire of some kind to, to, to see what God has for you in this book or to learn more about God, then, then that's, not, that's not anybody's fault but our own as, an, as individuals. Amen? And so we should cultivate a desire in our heart to learn more about God. John chapter 17, we're going to look at three verses, well four verses this evening as we're looking at our second point here uh, in John 17, we're studying this Lord's prayer. This morning we looked at the knowledge of God's glory. That's what Jesus prayed for that the knowledge of God's glory would be given, <clears throat> excuse me, to his followers. Now we're down at verse 11, and then we're going to jump over to verse 20. So let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, starting in verse number 11, and then we'll jump ahead to verse 20, down to about verse 23. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one. As we are. Jump over to verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and Thou and Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this evening. We pray over these next few moments as we study together that You would convict our hearts to to learn from Your Word, from the prayer of Your Son. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would help us to mold and fashion our lives after Him, to fashion our prayer life after the prayer of Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would help us to focus on You in Christ's name. And for Christ's sake, amen and amen. You may be seated. This morning we looked as we discussed together how we should fashion our prayer life and we should be praying for the knowledge of the glory of God. Number two, we need to be praying for the complete unification of the believers. The complete unification of the believers. I read a story yesterday. I thought was fitting. And uh, a man intending to raise cattle, uh, or a family rather, from New York, uh, intending to raise cattle, bought a ranch out west. And when their friends visited and inquired about the ranch's name, the uh, the man replied, uh, the rancher replied, "I wanted to name it the Bar J, but my my, my wife favored Susie Q." One of our sons wanted the Flying W, and the other liked the Lazy Y. So we're calling it the Bar J, Susie Q, Flying flying W, Lazy Y Cattle Ranch. And the friend asked the rancher, where are all the cattles? And he said, well, none of them survived the branding, amen? They couldn't (laughs) handle it, all right? Uh, there, was a, there was a conflict and the, the answer to that conflict in that family was a little bit of compromise, amen? Uh, a little bit of compromise isn't a bad thing, but when it comes to the Word of God, there's no room for compromise. We need to be unified. Unity is extremely important. So when we see the prayer of God, of Jesus to God the Father, we're going to notice, let's read those verses again, and I want you to notice how many times we see the word one. All right. we see the word one. Notice, verse 11, Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee. Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are. Go over to verse number 20. Neither pray are for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee as Thou has loved Me. Six different times we see Jesus praying for the oneness, the togetherness of His children. And so we see the importance of unity. I believe it interesting that Christ would pray to the Father for the unification of the believers. It seems as if He knew that there would be some divisions in the body of Christ. It's interesting, amen? Jesus knew that there would be some divisions. Notice how we are kept. Verse number 11, how we are kept. I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to Thee, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be as one. How are we kept? We're kept by His name. Our salvation is in none other name but Jesus Christ. Amen? Our salvation comes to us by none other name than Jesus Christ. Psalm 52 and verse 9 reads, I will praise Thee forever because Thou hast done it, and I will wait on Thy name for it is good before Thy saints. The name of God has the power to keep us, His followers, His believers. Psalm 54 and verse 1 tells us, Save me, O God, by Thy name. And judge me by thy strength. Psalm 54 and verse 6. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. God's name is powerful and will keep us. God's name is a name that is to be desired. It is a name that is worthy of praise. And it is a name that requires worship. But it is also a name by which man can be unified. Unity is of the utmost importance in Scripture. Look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Romans chapter 16, verse number 17. Now I beseech you brethren mark them which cause what divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and what avoid them mark them so the so the bible's telling Paul's telling the followers the believers to identify those that cause divisions Identify those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and to avoid them. Unity is of the utmost importance in Scripture. God desires that His people be unified. But how are we we to be unified? How is it accomplished? Well, in a world of divisiveness, even among Christianity... It's important that we recognize how we are unified. Some believe the answer is to remove any denominational barriers so that we can appeal to the world as united. Removing barriers. Looking at the names such as Baptist as divisive names that are not scriptural. But we know from our studies that the Bible makes us Baptist. We do not choose the name Baptist on the sign because that's just what we grew up as. We know that it is the doctrines of Scripture that cause us to be Baptist, And that's important for us to recognize. We were talking this week, this past week, to a man and I was talking. We were looking at opportunity. We're always praying uh, for opportunity to, to grow the church. We're uh, maybe maybe looking at future prospects of buildings and things of that nature. And uh, I think that it's just a wonderful thing to be having that mentality and, uh, uh, to be looking for the growth. Amen. And there was one man who told me, "Well, you know, you, you, if you decide to uh, uh, build a building, and if you decide, you might want to think about taking the name Baptist off the sign." And I thought uh, that was nobody in the church, by the way, hey, man. I think we know better than that. Uh, but it was just a man in the community He was just talking, and uh, a good brother who who has good intentions. And he said, "Well, you know that that name can, you know, it can turn some some people off." And and uh, I said, "Yes, but that's what identifies what we believe. It identifies our body of doctrine." Amen. That's never. Listen, we we've mentioned before. We've talked about before. Uh, the potential for uh, uh, maybe if we were to rename the church, what would it be? Have you ever had those thoughts? You know, if you were here when the church started, what would you name the church? Say, well, what's wrong with Calvary? There's nothing wrong with Calvary. Amen. There's nothing wrong with the name whatsoever. But there are five other Calvaries in this community. Amen. So it might be a good thing at some point, if the Lord allows us to grow, uh, to look at that. And I've always liked the name uh, of the, I like what the old Baptists used to do and how they would name their church after the body. Of water uh, where they would baptize. And so uh, uh, if we ever decided, now, of course, we, right now we, we baptize at, at the Turpin. Uh, baptistry, Amen. Uh, so I don't know how we, how we, Turpin Baptist Church or something like that, Turpin Poolside Baptist Church. I, I don't know what you'd do with that, uh, but I always thought it'd be neat to be able to baptize at the lake and to be Chatuge Baptist Church, an independent Baptist church in the mountains of Hiawassee. It'd be a good thing, Amen. Uh, and that's when he and I. So, but if if God ever led us to do, they said, why would we change here? Okay, let, before we go any further, I've already lost some people. Because of the prospect of, 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 you know, pastor wants to change the name. No, I do not. Amen? But these are things that you think about as a pastor, as a minister. You think about those things. You think about the potential for growth and what would separate us and define us and what would cause people to look at the sign and say, that's where we go to church. That's what we believe. And what we, you know, And for that to be something that would cause division because this is the way we've always done it is never ever, ever a good excuse for doing anything. Ever. This is the way we've always done it. D- d- amen. I'm not worried about the way it's always been done. Amen. I think I've been here long. I think you know me well enough to know by now, I'm not concerned with everybody's opinion on the way it's always been done. Now, I'm not saying we remove the landmarks. Amen. But we need to stay true and focus on the Scripture. And sometimes there are things... So, All of that I probably should have saved for after I finished preaching on unity. Amen? But uh, I believe we're on the same page. But the point I was making is if we ever did feel the need to change the name of the church, there is one thing that will always remain on that sign. Baptist. Always. It'll always remain on that sign. Why? Because it identifies who we are and what we believe. Baptist. Unity is important. And so changing... To a non-denominational, which is a a conflated word that that contradicts itself because a denomination is a body of belief. That's what denomination is. So to say you're non-denominational is to say that you have zero belief. That makes no sense to me. Amen? I think they call them interfaith church or interdenominational churches now. But to remove the name so that we could be interfaith or interdenominational may seem pragmatic but it will end in a watered-down gospel that will send multitudes to hell forever. Compromise is never the answer. This unity that Jesus prayed for, notice several, six different times we see this unity reference that we would be one. How? As God is one with the Son. That's how we're to be unified as Bible believers. The unity can only be accomplished by building our foundation on the Word of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. I heard a crash in the nursery and I know the only one in the nursery is Juliet. So, amen. Amen. A nervous for Miss Bonnie back there, amen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, look at verse one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. How? Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, for bearing one another in love. This is how unity is accomplished, verse number two. This is how it is shown. That's how it's accomplished In the Word of God, how we should live with each other and be one with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse 3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here's our context, how it's accomplished in verse number 2, and then we recognize in verses 4 through 6 How we can be unified? There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. How is unity accomplished? It's only accomplished by being one in Christ Jesus. That's it. It's the only way we could all accomplish any kind of unifying. Verse number 7. But unto every one of us is given grace. Now you can tie that to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 5 through 8. Grace is that heavenly strength in time of need. The Bible says every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Those are those grace gifts. Look, keep your place here in Ephesians. We're going to come right back to this. But I want us to look at Romans 12. It's been a while since we've been here. Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at these grace gifts. We all know verses 1 through 2. Verse 3, the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Teenagers, what's sober? What is it? What is sober? Well, focus. That's a good way to describe it. Absolutely. That's not wrong. Who said it? You said it. Serious. To be sober-minded is to be serious-minded. I think Wit was trying to like whisper it from the back of the auditorium and I'm already part deaf. Amen? Uh, But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, so how many members? Many. How many bodies? One one body and all members have not the same office so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another verse number 6 having then gifts what's that word differing. differing now this is now I want us to stop here does that mean does that word teach us that having then gifts some better than others no They're different. Differing according to what? To the grace that is given to us. Who is the giver of the grace? Jesus Christ, God, amen, has given us. So according to the grace He has given us, and then we see the grace gifts. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or He that teacheth on teaching. Or He that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. So the love that we're to have is not to be divided, cut apart, disassembled. Then notice the latter part of verse 9. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. So we have been given gifts that are different. None are better than anybody else. I always find it interesting, there are some people, and and you, you ladies that play the piano, you don't know this, but there are some people that come to the church, and they'll tell me, they'll say, boy, I wish I could play like Miss Karen. I'd love to have that gift to play like Miss Karen. I'd love to be able to play the piano like Miss Tracy. I'd love to be able to play like Miss Barbara. I'd love to be able to do that. And that's what people think. They look and they go, man, they're, they're able to really serve in the services because they can play the piano Well. Or I'd love to be able to teach like Brother Grant and to have a Sunday school class where I can take and expound the Word of God. I'd love to be able to do that, but I'm just not able to do that. The Bible doesn't say having them gifts that are better than everybody else's. Having them gifts that are different, we being many members are one in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? We need all of us. We need all of us. Every person, that's a Christian, is needed in the ministry of Jesus Christ. All of us. Now back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace, that strength from heaven, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, jump down to verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are some of the roles that are given to the church. Now verse 12 tells us the purpose. Now I don't know if you knew this or not, but Ephesians 4.12 is kind of like our church verse. That's what it, 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 almost three years ago now, uh, Brother Lance and Brother Grant and myself we got together and we had a deacons' meeting and, and I gave out the uh, uh, three-year plan and we looked at that together and we prayed over it and we knew that it wasn't written in stone but that it was you know a guide to try to give us some goals for and this is the verse that we placed on that well this is the verse the Lord laid on my heart and I gave it to the deacons and we all kind of adopted it as the church verse Ephesians four twelve the purpose, the reason, the why God gave us all of these different roles, the reason why God gifted you with the grace gift of whatever the gift is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why you're here. That's why God didn't just catch you away at the moment of your salvation because He has a role for you in the ministry here on this earth the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. Till when? Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 and verse 15 gives us the importance of unity in Christ Jesus. Look at it. That we henceforth be no more what? Children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is why your gift is so important. Because if you are not allowing God to use the gift that He has given you, then someone could be carried away with some false doctrine. Notice, that's what it says. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ. Now notice verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Unity can only be accomplished by building on the foundations of what Scripture has given us. What has Scripture given us? Well, it starts with doctrine. It starts with doctrine. Doctrine. That's why the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. Why do we believe what we believe? Because of the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. This is something that sometimes can shake, uh, shake things up a little bit, maybe cause people to be uncomfortable because it causes you to doubt. If modern science was to find the remains of someone, and they were to run the DNA, and they were able to trace it to a man named Jesus who lived in Nazareth about the same time as the God of the Bible, would your faith be shaken? That's a good question to ask. Would you still believe that Jesus had resurrected? Because without the resurrection, all of this is vanity. We're hopeless. Would you still believe the resurrection? Or would you believe modern science? I'm not saying toss out all science, but the Bible does warn us of science falsely so-called. Amen? And we should be very wary. How strong is your faith? How strong is your gift that He's given you whenever false doctrine comes up? So we need one another to strengthen us. So comparing the unity of Ephesians with the unity of Jesus' prayer, one's going to deduce that unity is primarily beneficial for two reasons. Number one, according to Ephesians, it's beneficial for the edification of the saints. For the edification of the saints. Look with me at... Let's look at chapter 3 of Ephesians. Look down... Look at verse 17. Ephesians three seventeen That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now look back. You're in Ephesians three. Look at four sixteen. The last part of four sixteen. To the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. How in love. And what is it that Paul tells the church that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded where in love. The love that we're to have for one another should unify us. Look at at one chapter over, chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in what? Love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 2. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1. Go over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 27. How do we accomplish the edification of one another in unity in doctrine? Verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. How do we accomplish the edification of the saints by the unification of one another? How is that done? By recognizing that it is by one Spirit and one mind. Remember the Scripture says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. The one mind and the one Spirit and we are striving toward the one goal and that is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our only goal. Listen, can I share something with you? And I know it seems like, because this is how it comes across, and I know it comes across this way, but I don't know if it's just the only way I know how to say it. Your goal, your goal as an individual is not is not to rear up a family to rear up a family that loves you more than they love God. Amen. That's not your job. It's not your goal. Your job, your goal is not to rear up your children to, to, to always want to stay at home and to, to, to stay with mom and dad because they're too afraid to go out into the world. Or how about this? To love this community more than it loves God. Amen. All of these things can be idols. All of these things I see. Listen, it's not just here in our church. It's all over. I can't. When I was on deputation... We were getting ready to go to Canada. That's what we were praying about. We were traveling. I'd lived in Florida for, I think, several years at this point. Been an assistant pastor down there at at, at Liberty Baptist. And and we started deputation and we we drove to uh, Maine and we drove to Canada and we flew to Wyoming and drove up to Manitoba and different areas. And we were going to churches. And we stopped in, in Asheville at the church where I grew up. And, and we stopped in because I wanted to talk to pastor, see if I could get an opportunity to present the ministry and maybe, maybe get a little support, amen? Maybe get a little financial monthly support because, look, I, I'm not ignorant. I know that every missionary that comes through that door, they want financial support, amen? And that's not wrong for them to want. It's the only way they're going to be able to make it to the field, it's not a bad thing for them to want that. I think churches have missed the point by causing our young men and women to come to the auditoriums of, our, of our, or our sanctuaries, our churches, and to act as if money is not something that they think about. That's absolutely what they're there for. Amen? That's what deputation is about. It's to get financial support. Well, it's about prayer help. Yeah, but we're supposed to be praying for missionaries anyway. They shouldn't have to come here so we can see them, so that we can pray for them. They come here because they're hoping that we will partner with them. That's why I'm very specific. Whenever we have a missionary, I let them know, I intend to hopefully, prayerfully take you on. We don't just have missionaries come in just because I want to parade missionaries in front of you. Amen? That was a side note. That was for free. Some of that was my own little frustration. I I am very passionate about our missionaries and about missions in general because I believe that missionaries are burnt out too often and mistreated by stateside churches. And, and I'm trying to not run rabbits. Amen. I'm trying to not preach my opinion. I'm trying to stay focused. So let's, let's go forward. What was I talking about? Oh yes, deputation. We were on deputation. And one of the pastors of our church, the church where I grew up at, not the church we were members at at the time, offered me a full-time job to not go to Canada to stay in town. Now, he had good intentions. He had good intentions. He wanted me to stay because he believed maybe I needed a little more training. Maybe I needed to get my feet wet in the ministry. He didn't realize I had been on the in, in, as an assistant pastor for so many He didn't know that. He, he wasn't aware of that. But there's a lot of that around. People wanting to go to the mission field and mama trying to pray them out of it. Amen? People trying to go and to be in the ministry and Dad trying to tell him to have a backup plan, you need to learn a trade, or you need to have some kind of a degree. I'm, I'm about to say something, it's my opinion. So pray for me. Amen, but let me help you with something. In the day and age that we live in, your college degree isn't worth the amount of money you paid for it. That doesn't mean that college isn't important, young people. Education's important. But the way we live now, I know more people that I went to college with and that went to secular colleges that are working jobs like Walmart and Walgreens with degrees that would have them in politics. Amen. Amen. Right now, the market that needs something are trade jobs. You want to learn something, learn a trade. Learn what your mom and daddy and your grandmom and your granddaddy learned. Amen. Have something to fall back on. But when it comes to ministry, you don't need a fallback. You don't need something to fall back on. Why? Because God's going to put you where He wants you. Amen? That's important to recognize. I digress. I, I'm, I'm get, I told you I'm, I'm, getting, get, I'm getting in the flesh now. Amen? Pray for me. I don't, want to get in the, I don't ever want to do that. But I want us to recognize all of this stemming from this desire because we don't want our young people to go into the world and to serve God in the way that God intended them to serve Him. Our responsibility is to put God first in our own lives. And do you want to know what my desire is for my children? And what your desire should be for your children? That they will follow you as you follow Christ wherever He sends you. Amen. Amen. That's the way we should do this. So the unification isn't in what we want. Life's not about you. But yet, how often do we do that? How often do we attempt to make it about us? Sometimes subconsciously. We don't even realize we're doing it. That's how much flesh we are. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. We know that we love every person that sits in these pews. But yet we still, we still, instead of edifying them, instead of encouraging them, we look down on them. And it's exemplified in the way that we speak to people. We think we're better than other people. You're not. I'm not. We're not better than anybody. We're just sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. And that's why it's so important that we recognize that we will never be unified as long as we're putting ourselves here. And false humility is another way to put ourselves here. Oh, well, I don't want anybody to look at me. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Sometimes that's a false humility. God's gifted you with something, then you praise God for it. And you use that gift for what God has gifted you with. Whatever that is. Why? Because someone in this building, someone in this service, someone you go to church with, someone who who is a brother in Christ, needs your gift to edify them so that they can grow in grace and truth. Unity. It's only accomplished... Or it's beneficial because it is given for the edification of the saints. We looked at Philippians chapter 1. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh man. I literally thought that said 5.30. And I thought, man, I got another half hour to go. It is not 5.30. Amen? It is after 6 o'clock. I just kept on going. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're almost done. Look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all what? Speak the same thing. And that there be what? No divisions among you. None. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And in the same judgment. Look back at Philippians. We looked at chapter 1, look at Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 27. Or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's let's just look at verse 2 and then we'll jump down to verse 14. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be what? Like minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Look down at verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. A brief overview of Philippians chapter 2. People often look at that and they say that's talking about contentment. No, Philippians chapter 4, the context is contentment. In Philippians chapter 2, we see unity. In Philippians chapter 2, we see how we ought to react or deal with one another. Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. I would take that verse and right next to it, I would write James chapter 3. What is James chapter 3? What's the context of James chapter 3? The tongue what we say. My brethren, verse 1 of James 3, Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Verse 5, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. It amazes me. It amazes me how much division how much dissimulation how much bitterness abides in our churches today because of that right there Amen. because we don't know how to do that we talk about one another and we do and a lot sometimes that we seem like it, we feel like it's innocent sometimes we think but listen, just because we don't go out and say, because I don't go out to other people and say, well, you know, that's Silas. He's a bum. Amen? Can't get him to do anything. All he does is show up and he sits down and he, he won't just get up and work. Amen? Now, I don't know that that's true. I'm using that as an example because every Nicholson man I've ever met is a worker. Amen? That's just the way it's been. All right? So I feel like I could use him. Because I know if I used one of you adults, y'all would think I really thought that, and I don't. Amen? So I don't think that, Silas. Your mom paid me to say that about you, though. All right, amen. If I said that, I went out and I I might not say that, but this is what I may say. I may show up at a men's work day and go, where's Silas at? Oh, he's not here. Oh, well, we're all here. I'm saying the exact same thing, aren't I? I'm implying it, right? What am I doing? Starting a little fire with that right there. Starting a little fire those that are around. Amen. Amen. This is a hard thing to preach because it affects everyone. Alright? Ms. Linda says she likes to come because I step on her toes. Well, right now I am jumping up and down on my own toes. Alright? I understand this. It affects all of us. But we will never be unified until we remove ourselves from our own equation. We will never be unified until we remove our own opinions of everyone else from the equation. Think of it this way. How you talk about other people, your husband, your wife, your children. Now, imagine someone said that about you. Oh, I'm not that way. I mean, they're terrible. But the Bible says, and such were some of you. And the only thing that makes us different is Christ. And the only thing that will show that we're different is Christ exemplified. And the purpose of that unity is so that when we come through those doors, when we run into each other in Ingalls or Walgreens or at the gas station, when we fellowship with one another, whether it be on this property or somewhere else, the purpose of our ability to keep our tongues to ourselves so that we can lift others up is so that everyone else around us is edified. The edification of the saints... The second, John chapter 17, verse 23. We've not even taken the time to look at this word perfect, but verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Not just one, but perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved me. Two reasons, two benefits to being unified. The edification of the saints... So that we may realize the love of God toward us. Look at First John Chapter four. First John Chapter four, Verse number twelve. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth where? In us. And His love is perfected in us. John 17, 23, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. Not only do we need the unity of the Gospel, the unity of the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives as Christians so that we may be edified and so that we may edify others, but also so that we may prove the love of God. I find 1 John 4 verse 12 very interesting because of the beginning of the verse, no man hath seen God at any time. And we'll quote that often. No man seen God at any time. But then notice the rest. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. You want to know why we don't need to see God? Because He lives in us. I don't need to see Him. Do I desire to see my Savior? Absolutely. Do I need to, to trust in Him, to abide in Him? No. If... We love one another. God dwelleth in us. Psalm 133 and verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One question tonight. We're not going to have a standard altar call